It's time for the Crunch Time Plays Podcast, where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey. What's up, everybody? Thanks for hopping back in on another edition of Crunch Time Plays. And we are just a couple weeks away from the NFL draft. We're, we're steamrolling right along. And we've been giving you draft previews throughout the course of the last two weeks. And we're going to do so again with a guy that I've got a tremendous amount of respect for, Ben Lindsay from Pro Football Focus, NFL analyst. And he's going to going to give us the skinny on all the stuff that, that he knows about the about the draft coming up here in a couple of weeks. But, Ben, I hope you're doing well, man, and, and thanks for coming on. Yeah, of course, man. It's always – got to talk about the draft while we still can. We're running out. Hey, I mean, it's it's just – it's hard to believe that we're just a couple of weeks away. I mean, we spend so much time talking about it, making mock drafts and all this, and it's hard to believe we're just a couple of weeks away now. Yeah, it's, it's one of the best times of the year. No doubt. So I want to start with you and – if you hadn't ch- hadn't gotten a chance to to check out this article by Ben on PFF, go check it out. It it's called the four players who could be surprised in first round selections. So that's where I want to start with you, and I wanted to talk about kind of keeping it here locally. Talking about Deami Brown with you out of North Carolina. A lot of people believe he's he's a tremendous talent, and I had Corey Seeley from Coast to Coast scouting on a couple weeks ago, and and he and he raves about. Deami Brown and and the more I watch him play the last couple of weeks, just just talking to him and just the more and more impressed that I become with him. And he's you know was in a great offense in North Carolina with Sam Howell throwing the ball to him. But but what do you, what do you kind of see from from Deami Brown and and could he end up being possibly one of those later first round picks? Yeah, I think the thing with Deami Brown uh, to where he could potentially sneak into the back end of round one, it's still probably not likely. Um, but I think he could because he's a guy who can play outside. And a lot of the guys in that range, sort of back into the first round, second round, uh, you're looking at Rondell Moore, Kadarius Toney, uh, these slot guys, and Brown's ability to play both inside and outside. I think teams are going to find that valuable. Um, he, he really ran a vertical route tree at North Carolina. It wasn't super diverse. Um, but I don't think he's, he's sort of a one trick deep threat, um, kind of guy. I, I think he has the suddenness in his routes. They're clean enough to where he can develop a full route tree. Um, but he is a, he is a good vertical threat. He can stack cornerbacks, uh, has good speed, not great speed. Uh, but he knows how to, to create separation at the catch point. Um, I, I really like his game. What is this the do you think this is the deepest wide receivers class that we've had in a while? No, there's been a, a lot of great wide receivers classes in the last three or four years. But but in, in your you kind of going through and studying a lot of these guys, because it seems like to me, this is this is probably one of the deepest wide receiver classes that we have. There's a lot of guys that can go late first round and then all throughout the second round as well. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it's we're sort of seeing a trend each year, it seems like, is this is the deepest wide receiver class. Um, and then the next year is the deepest wide receiver class. But I do think this year uh, it is true. And it, it, who knows why that is. It could be more of the sort of seven-on-seven. Seven. Guys are just catching a lot of passes. By the time they get to college, they're just more skilled coming out. It's a position that's sort of ahead of where some other positions are at right now. Um, but I do like this, the, the, not just the high in town in this class, but the depth, the guys you can get in round two, three, even on day three. What, 
st- sticking with the wide receivers, how how would you go about ranking the first the first five or six? There's there's been a lot of talk about Devontae Smith that that you know we just hear over the last couple of weeks talking about the concerns with his frame and different things like that. His his weight's a little off, but but to me, when I look at Devontae Smith, I mean, I just see a guy that that runs great routes and catches a lot of passes. I'm not really concerned about his durability in the NFL. What, what, where would you rank uh, Devontae Smith? And, and is he ahead of, of guys like Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, some of those guys? Yeah, I, it's, it's tough to rank the top. I think there's a, a tier at the top with Chase Smith and Waddle. I don't think there's a ton of separation between those guys. Uh, I would probably put go Chase Smith Waddle. I would go in that order. Um, but I'm with you right there on Smith. Uh, a lot of talk about how small he is, 170 pounds uh, is his reported weight. And there is some validity to the fact that there's just not a lot of guys in the NFL who have had success at that weight. Um, but then you look at what Smith was able to do at Alabama and the way he plays the game. He can get off the line of scrimmage clean with his releases. Um, he's one of the best route runners in the class. He plays bigger than his size at the catch point. Uh, not afraid to go over the middle. I just don't think his size is going to be a limiting factor uh, when you're projecting him to the NFL. I still think he can be that number one X receiver uh, in the league. Just kind of switching over to the – we talk talk a lot about the quarterbacks. We spent so much time debating all those. We know Trevor Lawrence is going number one to Jacksonville to be with Urban Meyer. But the draft – and a lot of people have Zach Wilson penciled in at number two, just where do, where do you rank the? How do you how do you rank the quarterbacks? You know, Lawrence, Fields, Lance, Jones, those guys, and who who ultimately do you think? Because we see probably about five you know quarterbacks every year drafted in the first round. It seems like only a couple of those guys actually pan out and have had solid you know the first few years of their careers who are a couple of the guys that that you think can have the most success and and who are a couple of the guys do you think depending on how what system they go into have the potential to not fair not fair as well in the first couple years yeah I think just in terms of how I would order them I think Lawrence at, at one I'm not gonna not gonna get contrarian there um but then I think the the next one Wilson and Fields are sort of in a similar tier for me. I wouldn't have too big of an issue if you had either one uh, higher. I personally think Fields, I would prefer maybe a little bit more even at two, which is kind of crazy given some of the rumors that have been going around that he might be the fifth guy off the board. I don't know how serious those rumors are. Um, And if he is the fifth guy off the board, whoever takes him, whether that's Denver at nine, a team trading up, they're going to be getting a steal Um, just because – He's the kind of guy who could go number one overall in a draft if we didn't have Trevor Lawrence sitting on the board. There's not a lot to pick apart with his game. Um, two years of high-level play in the Big Ten at Ohio State. Played well in the playoffs this past year, I thought, especially against Clemson. Even in the game against Alabama that they lost, he didn't play poorly, in my opinion. Accurate, athletic, ran a 4-4-6. Um, so there's just not not a ton to pick apart. And if he ends up in San Francisco um, – with Kyle Shanahan and what they have going on on that offense over there, uh, I think he could end up in the best position to have success early on. As far as guys on the other end of the spectrum, um, I do like Trey Lance. Uh, I think Lance is a good prospect. 
but it depends where he goes and sort of the situation he goes into because there are real concerns about his accuracy. Uh, he wasn't super accurate at North Dakota State. He has all the tools, um, big arm, can run. Uh, he's intelligent. Um, he called a lot of his own protections there at North Dakota State. Uh, but the accuracy is a concern, and he only has one year of play, really, under his belt. Um, so it, depending on what offense he goes into, I do think there's some bust potential there. He's definitely the the Mitch Trubisky, you know, kind of guy that that only started, you know, one year at, at North Dakota State, and and you know, Mitch Trubisky, whenever he came out, had only been the starter one year at North Carolina. So that that's kind of the comparison that, that I draw. I'm not sure if that's a, a fair comparison or not, but, but yeah, just- I think from from an experience standpoint, uh, definitely. I, I think the things that Lance has going for him. Um, he has better, he has more upside than Trubisky, essentially. Um, he can be one of the best rushing quarterbacks in the league, and he has one of the biggest arms in the league. Uh, so you pair those two things together. Um, and, and I do think I like him a little bit more as a prospect, but you do have the experience concerns, the accuracy concerns um, that worry you a little bit. One of the one of the articles that by you that I would also encourage people to read is, is three NFL teams that you trade up into the top 10 for a quarterback. You mentioned the Patriots. Just a, a brief synopsis, you mentioned the Patriots, Washington football team, and the Steelers, and those those are three teams that are, you know, in that middle tier of picks that, that could possibly trade up. Big Ben's on the, the end of his career with the Steelers, and then the Washington football team and the Patriots are looking for answers at quarterback as well. Who's the most likely of those teams to trade up in your mind, and who, who would they be targeting as possibly uh, their next quarterback? Yeah, I think the most likely is probably New England, just because they're the closest. Uh, they have the 15th overall pick to get back, so they don't have to give up quite as much to move up. And just you look at the way that they handled this offseason. You came into this offseason, and you're like, all right, the Patriots, maybe they don't go for it. Maybe they take a year to reset, um, sort of let the Bills and Dolphins do their thing, and then, and then come back with a new quarterback. But they spent $160 million in guaranteed money. I'm not sure exactly how much it was, but it's in that ballpark. Um, really heavily went into free agency. Um, So there's no indication that they're going to do anything but try to compete. Uh, They brought back Cam Newton, but Cam Newton's not really a long-term answer. Either he plays well this year, and then you have to pay him more than they're paying him right now, or he struggles again, and then you have to find your quarterback. Um, So I think it makes sense for them to go and get a quarterback in this top-heavy draft class. I would say Justin Fields is probably the guy that they want, um, it depends on whether San Francisco takes him or whether he slides. Uh, but I think any of him, Lance Jones, um, would make sense. One of the, I want to get into to a Mac Jones conversation with you for a second. Uh, one of one of the knocks on him is is he had you know so much talent around him at Alabama. He had Smith, he had Waddle for for half the season until he got hurt, but. You know, at the end of the day, you still got to make the throws. You still got to be able to to be, you know, be mobile in the pocket. And he he certainly is that. He's not, he's not the fleetest of foot outside of the pocket, but he's got, got good pocket mobility. What whenever you go about evaluating quarterbacks, are you more concerned with the with the upside, or, or when you have a guys that are have as little a separation as as Lance Fields, Wilson, and and Jones? Do you? more so break down the weaknesses and who has kind of the, the most amount of weaknesses goes at the bottom of the list. Yeah, I think 
if a couple of years ago you would have asked me, I would have probably given you a different answer. Um, but I think the way that the quarterback position is moving, you sort of want it to chase those high end guys, especially if you're picking in the top 10 or move, trading up to draft a guy. Um, because I like Jones as a prospect. I, I think Jones, if you put him in the right situation, uh, he showed at Alabama, he's accurate. He's, he's arguably the most accurate quarterback in this class. I think he's up there with fields. Um, he's a good processor, uh, was always putting the ball in the right place, making the right decision in that offense. Yes, they had a lot of talent, um, but he was putting the ball in good positions. Uh, so I think bringing him into a good offense, he can have success um, right away. Uh, it's just, is he ever going to be a top five quarterback in the NFL? And I think it's hard to see him sort of reaching that level at the position when you have guys who can just do more when plays break down, um, do more outside of structure. Uh, so it really depends on what you're looking for and where you are as a team. One of the things that the, the, a lot of people around the league have been talking about is, is the 49ers trading up to number three and, and this idea that they've traded up to number three to get Matt Jones. Or is that, is that a real conversation or is that, you know, just some guys – you're just kind of floating out some information because w- there's a lot of information out there about these guys and, and what teams they may be going to personally for you. Would you, if you were the 49ers take Matt Jones at number three and then kind of separating from that, do you think that a lot of the information that's out there could be just floating out information to kind of see what sticks? Yeah, I mean, as, as far as whether the, as whether this smoke is real, uh, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> I, I don't have it. I don't have any insider information. I have to think that there's some validity to it. Uh, it just because guys like Adam Schefter, Daniel Jeremiah, the, these sort of plugged in um, NFL media members are, are really buying in and saying that they think Mac Jones is the guy. Uh, so either it's this, this big diversion, uh, at which point I'm not really sure why San Francisco um, is trying to take people off the scent, uh, given that no one's really going to trade above them. Uh, Lawrence and Wilson are pretty set in stone at one, two. Um, so I honestly have no idea what to think of what's actually going to happen. If it were me personally, like I talked about earlier, I, I think Fields um, would be my pick just because it, in terms of accuracy and putting the ball on target, he can do that sort of stuff in a similar fashion to Mac Jones. Um, but he also gives you the rushing element on those bootlegs that Mac Jones doesn't necessarily. Um, and he gives you a, a better deep ball. Mac Jones doesn't have a bad deep ball, but I think just in field, you like his arm strength a little bit more. Um, so I just think he gives them more versatility. Uh, so in my opinion, that's who I would take. I'm not sh- actually sure whether or not that's going to happen. I mean, I, I really like Justin Fields. I mean, I, I like him over Zach Wilson. I, I would rank him as the number two quarterback behind Trevor Lawrence because he's done it. He, he's done it in the playoff. He's done it on the big stage at Ohio State, and he, he's never been afraid of the moment. And, and I know Zach Wilson's not either, but he's Justin Fields is a lot, a lot more proven guy, a lot more proven guy. And what do you think the balance is? The G, whenever GMs are evaluating those guys, kind of what competition they've played and, and how they've stepped up in the big moments like the college football playoff or something like that. Yeah, I think that's something that, that GMs and teams are always looking for. Um, yeah, you're going to give an edge uh, to guys who have done it and proven it at a higher level. But I also don't think it's going to 
level of play is something that's going to keep a team from drafting someone if they if they like what they see on tape, um, they like the traits, the athleticism. Um, yeah, I don't think it's going to be a detracting factor unless it's you're talking like FCS level competition. Um, but it's it's definitely something where if a guy is playing in the SEC in the Big Ten, um, he's doing it in the playoffs. Uh, that definitely you have to wait that a little bit more. A team that that's not taking a quarterback is at number five with the Cincinnati Bengals. They're pretty set in stone at quarterback with Joe Burrow, one of the t- top rookies last year. And a lot of the talk has been: Do they draft a, the left tackle Penesul out of Oregon as a, as a pass protector? I know there there's a real temptation there to to reunite Jamar Chase with with Joe mm-hmm. Burrow in Cincinnati as well. And then they just signed Thaddeus Moss, who was on that 2019. LSU team as well, Randy Moss's son. But what ultimately, where do you think the Bengals go with the pick? And and what are, you're always you're always looking for weapons as a quarterback, but you also need that protection, especially with the great defenses that they're they're facing in the AFC North as well. Yeah, I'm I'm actually located here in Cincinnati uh, with the PFF offices, and that debate's threatening to tear the city apart. Oh, man, the school versus Chase. Um, and honestly, I don't think uh, either decision, it's a good, it's a good decision to have to make. Uh, Cause I think either guy is going to come in and help, uh, help that team. Uh, I think the signing of Riley Reef, um, maybe it, it makes them, gives them a little bit more flexibility to take someone like Chase, I think, because now uh, you have Jonah Williams at left tackle, Riley Reef at right tackle. Uh, they're not great options, uh, but it's, it's not, disastrous you're not putting someone out there who you're really worried about and I think average across the offensive line is what you're really striving for eliminating weak links so I would lean chase just giving Joe Burrow another weapon um, to pair with T Higgins and Tyler Boyd because you're going to run out three wide receivers almost every play Uh, Cincinnati runs a lot of three wide receiver sets um, so getting that true number one outside starter uh, obviously they already have an extensive connection, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Um, so I, so I think that makes some sense and he makes Higgins and Boyd better. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And, and sticking with the, the team right after that, the Miami Dolphins, they, they make the trade with the 49ers move back to number 12 and then they trade back up to number six. Is that maybe a, was that maybe a play to get one of these, top wide receivers in the draft or, or possibly even a Kyle Pitts if, if Atlanta does not stay in the number four pick and take him. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it was. They, they were looking at where they were trading back down to 12 um, because you can only trade down with someone who wants to trade up. <laughs> so, so they wanted, they trade down to 12 um, to get that extra draft capital, but then they looked at the board uh, and I think either Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts, uh, one of those two guys would be their preference. If it goes Pitts, Chase, one, two, uh, I think they would be happy with Sewell, uh, too, continuing to add to that offensive line. Um, but I think that that was the idea of moving back up to six was to get one of the real blue chip um, prospect talents in this class who probably aren't going to be there at 12. One of the – you're always looking for weapons for, for Tua Tagovailoa there in Miami, and he's – there was a lot of, of, of talk about possibly the Dolphins – possibly trading for Deshaun Watson. That's, that's obviously not happening now. And, and two is, two is the guy, but wanted to ask you about kind of go in depth with you on Kyle Pitts a little bit. 
what do, what do you view him as in the NFL? Do you he's been working on his his blocking ability a little bit in his last year at Florida, but he's obviously a guy that can line up in the slot. He made his living in the red zone, scoring all those touchdowns at Florida in, the, in that offense with Dan Mullen. But what where do you see as him in the most vital role in the NFL? Is he is he a guy that can line, is he a guy that's going to line up in the slot? Mostly depend, and if he goes to Miami, or is he a guy that that you would expect to be able to do a lot of run blocking as well? Uh, I think the beauty of Kyle Pitts is you can line him up wherever. Um, <laughs> you, you can line up in line. You can line him up in the slot. You can line him up out wide, isolated at, at wide receiver. He showed he can do it all, and his blocking has been getting knocked a little bit. Um, uh, but I I think he can be a good blocker. I I think he showed improvement there at Florida last year um, and became a better run blocker. He was willing, at least uh, he, he wasn't shying away from blocks and he still has room to get bigger, uh, stronger. He's six, six, uh, and he can still add weight um, to that frame, which is going to make him a better blocker. Um, so I, I think just an all around talent, he can come in uh, to the NFL and be a top five tight end um, sort of enter that conversation with Travis Kelsey George Kittle, Darren Waller, um, he can sort of be in that conversation right away. There's not a lot of elite tight ends in the league. And I think Pitts is, is that talented from size, athleticism, uh, production at Florida, feel for the position. Uh, he could be the most talented player in this draft class, regardless of position. Um, so if he's there at six for the Dolphins, uh, I think that's a no-brainer. He's going to be on my fantasy team next year. I mean, wherever he goes, if yeah. he get if he goes to my, I mean, he's going to be scoring a lot of touchdowns next year. I think. Yeah, absolutely, man. He's <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be hard. I'm excited to see him. Uh, see him play. <laughs> I am too. Well, sticking with the the offense a little bit more, talking about some of the running backs. It seemed, see, I know Leonard Fournette was was drafted number four by the Jaguars, but it, a few years ago, but it. It seems like a lot of the guys now, there's so much running back and the average lifespan of a, of a running back in the NFL is not very high. Is that the reason, do you think, for teams being not as willing to draft running backs in the first round? I mean, we've seen a couple go in the late first round, but mostly second, third day type players. And how do you view where Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, who are at the top, of that running back class, where, where do you think they end up? Yeah, it's, it's a combination of things with, to where we've just seen um, it's harder to justify taking a running back in the first round, um, just based on sort of the injuries, the wear and tear they take. Uh, you see shorter careers. There's hardly any running backs that sign second contracts um, with the team that drafted them. And recent history for those guys, hasn't been all that great, whether that's Todd Gurley, whether that's David Johnson in Arizona. Uh, Le'Veon Bell didn't sign back with Pittsburgh, but but in New York, that contract didn't work out well. Um, so I think you're just seeing that. In addition to guys drafted later, um, James Robinson last year in Jacksonville, undrafted, came in and had success um, right away. So I think those things, you're just sort of seeing it, running backs are coming off the board a little bit later. I, I do think that some running backs in this class could go in the first round just based off of some team needs. I think Pittsburgh at 24 is a team to where they've been linked to Najee Harris a lot. Um, I, I think there's other positions they could look to, whether that's 
offensive tackle, offensive line somewhere, um, cornerback even uh, with them cutting Steven Nelson. But I do think there's a good chance that they end up taking a running back. Um, even, even a team uh, towards the back end of the first round, like Tampa Bay, I know they just signed Gio Bernard, um, but one of those teams, you could see them uh, drafting a Najee Harris, uh, ETN, even a Javante Williams from North Carolina, who's getting some buzz. The last thing for you on offense, and it's kind of a conversation that, that I want to tie in back here locally to the Carolina Panthers, but they they signed, they trade for Sam Darnold with the Jets, who's a really good trade for them that solves their their quarterback situation because I know they were in the they were in the Deshaun Watson extravaganza as well. But that kind of leaves them at number eight with with kind of an opportunity to either get a cup either if Sewell or, or Rashawn Slater from Northwestern are still on the board there at number eight. It gives them an opportunity to be able to to add a left tackle because Ocum wasn't very good last year, and he, and he's moved on elsewhere. But do you think do, do the Panthers ultimately end up with a guy like Sewell or Slater, or do you think they view this as an opportunity to go out and get one of those weapons like a Smith, a Waddle, or a Pitts if he's still on the board? I'm I'm sort of leaning uh, for them with offensive line. Um, I think right when you saw them trade for Sam Darnold, uh, that was kind of – the indication um, just because it's still an offensive line that could use a lot of work. Uh, they brought back Taylor Moton on the franchise tag, um, Paradis at center, but both guard positions um, and left tackle obviously is the big one. Uh, there's just not a ton of good answers there. I think Sewell falling to eight would be ideal um, for them. But even Slater is someone who uh, people have talked about kicking in the guard, but he was so good at Northwestern. Uh, he's so athletic that you want to see if he can play a tackle um, before you do that. And I do think there's a good chance that he can have success to tackle. Kind of switching over to, to the defensive side of the ball. And again, we're here with Ben Lindsay for pro football focus just does a, an outstanding job and, and switching over to the defensive side of the ball. There there's a, a good debate uh, in the secondary at that cornerback spot of, of guys like Patrick Sertain, JC Horn and Caleb Farley. How, how do you, how do you rank those? Cause I had the you know the opportunity to watch JC Horn the last three years in person live at South Carolina and and he's a guy that that I think can have a, a an all pro type career. But how do, how do you view that that cornerback class? Is Sertain the top guy or or do you think Horn it could be that guy as well? Yeah, I I would probably go Sertain Horn uh, Farley, um, but it's it's close. Like I've said with a lot of these positions, there's there's not a ton separating separating them um for horn i think going to a press man team you just love his the way he plays the cornerback position in guys face um talking trash apparently from some of the interviews we've done with with some sec wide receivers he's a big trash talker um so that's that kind of dog mentality you want in a press man cornerback and he has that uh, obviously tested really well at his pro day he has the athleticism that game against Seth Williams and Auburn it was one of the best cornerback games put on tape by anyone um, last year. So I do really like his game. Um, Sertain is, is just a technician. It's, he doesn't get beat very often. It's not a lot of bad um, reps on his tape. Also tested well at his pro day. And with Farley, it's the combination of his size and length and speed. 
Um, no one else in this class has that combination. Had great ball production at Virginia Tech in 2019, which is the last time we saw him play because he opted out of uh, the 2020 season. It, it's just going to be interesting to see where he goes because of the back uh, issues that have popped up uh, with the surgery recently. Um, so it, it's, it's, we sort of have to wait and see how teams view that, how they view that risk. It's probably going to push him down a little bit towards the back end of the first round. Um, but from a talent perspective, I think he's right there with those guys. One of the knots on, on JC Horn is, is he doesn't have, doesn't have a lot of interceptions, doesn't, doesn't have a lot of, of PBUs, different things like that. But I mean, that's, that's because no quarterbacks are throwing his way in the <laughs> SEC. I mean, that, that see that game against Auburn last year was the epitome of his career matched up on Seth Williams. And, he, and he's always been a guy that, that was great in, in press man, even though, even though South Carolina didn't didn't really play very much press man in their defense, which which they should have because they you know gave up I don't know how many passing yards a game, but 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 it, that game against Auburn was kind of the epitome of his career. Like Bo Nix decided to, for some reason to pick on J.C. Horn that day, and, <laughs> yeah. and he just intercepted him, you know, twice and had a lot of had a lot of PBUs as well. Yeah, I mean, sometimes a quiet stat line is the best stat line. It just means guys aren't aren't, aren't throwing your way, aren't testing you. <laughs> well, the last, the last thing I got for you is we're is we're winding down here. Who who kind of looking outside of the first round? I know we we've, we've spent all the time talking about the first round, but kind of look into that second day, that third day. Who are some of the guys? A couple guys on offense and a couple guys on defense that we need to be watching out for who their stock could be rising in those areas. Yeah, I think the one guy I'm looking to on offense at wide receiver is Josh Palmer um, for Tennessee. He's someone who I think I really like his his tape. He, he's got a suddenness to him where he, he can create separation underneath. They used him mainly as a deep threat, sort of similar to how we were talking about Deami Brown earlier. Um, and they didn't have Sam Howell at quarterback. <laughs> so, uh, their Tennessee's quarterbacks weren't giving him a ton of opportunities. I think it was something like 37% of the passes thrown his way were uncatchable. Um, so he didn't have great production, but I think uh, from on tape, he, he's a complete receiver. And if you can get him in sort of the round three range, uh, he's someone I like there along the offensive line. Um, let me think Kendrick green, um, the, the center from Illinois, is is a guy whose his tape is just nasty. Um, he's someone who's going to run people over, um, pancakes. He came into Illinois as a defensive tackle, did, didn't start playing offensive line until his redshirt freshman year. Um, so still a little bit raw technically, but I think from athleticism um, and, and just sort of that offensive line mentality, he has traits you like uh, on day two. Uh, defensive side of the ball, I like Ali McNeil. Um, nose tackle from North Carolina state. Uh, he's a, it's sort of a weird interior defender class. There's, there's, it's a weaker class. There's not a lot of guys who stand out at the top, um, which has sort of led to the, the order of them being shuffled around, but he's our BT uh, two um, at PFF. He's a guy who has, has some real pass rushing chops and quickness for a nose tackle, which is something you don't really see that often. Um, so I like his game. And then at safety, or Darius Washington is the last guy I'll throw out. He's small, um, which is going to get him passed over uh, for a lot of the other safeties who have more prototypical size, uh, but one of the most instinctive safeties in the class. So some of the plays he made on the ball 
at TCU were sort of Tyron Matthew-esque um, in that sense. And I think despite his size, uh, he's still going to be able to have success in the NFL. One of the one of the guys that we talk about, not Patrick Sertan being a technician, not too many people beat him, but one of the guys that, that did beat him a good bit in a couple of those games was Josh Palmer. Man. Kind of t- taking the top off the defense in that in the vertical passing game, but but you're right. <laughs> Tennessee was was yeah. you know they were starting a, a different quarterback every game, whether it was Garantano or Shroud or just it's just hard to find that consistency. How how do do team the teams kind of take that in, into consideration whenever they're looking at these guys? Most of the time, do you think what kind of offense, what kind of quarterbacks they had at their disposal? Yeah, I think they do. Um, it's it's still guys are going to get hurt by it just because they don't have the numbers. Um, but I do think teams look into it. It was a similar story with Jalen Rager coming out of TCU um, last year. And obviously his testing, he's sort of a freak athlete, explosive. Uh, that helped him, um, his testing at the combine. Um, but he still went in the first round. So I do think teams, account um, for the situation when they're looking at guys uh, on tape and won't hold that against them too much. Well, it's been awesome talking, talking all things NFL draft with you, Ben. Hopefully, you know, hopefully people are starting to, to get excited. It's only a couple weeks away and we're, we're spending a lot of time talking about it, but tell everybody where they can find you on social media and, and what's coming up at, at PFF with your work and, and anything else you want to plug as well. Yeah, we got a, a bunch of draft coverage coming over at PFF these next few weeks, a live draft show, um, on Thursday, Friday on PFF.com on our YouTube channel, um, which should be a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of our crew, um, Darius Butler, a few other guests, Al Michaels, um, will be on there. Um, and then my, myself personally, PFF underscore Lindsay is where you can find my work at Twitter. Um, and that's it. It's good talking with you, man. Hey, there, no doubt about it. It was awesome. Awesome chatting with you. I hope to get you back on again after the draft to kind of, kind of go over some grades with you, but I hope you stay safe and well and enjoy these next couple weeks, and, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. All right, that's Ben Lindsay from PFF, and thanks so much to him for coming on today, and thank you for watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. It's been another edition of Crunch Time Plays, NFL Draft Edition. God bless everybody.